I was telling Anthony it was the first day I did a PowerPoint. I've done PowerPoint on Google Slides, but I've never done one on uh, Microsoft, which is what we use the, um, for the PowerPoint night. I'm a little proud, and it was a little tricky. Um, so I've learned something new today. Yeah. All right. Well, good morning. Um, you have been saved from something that you do not even know about, and I'm going to tell you. Do you see all the uh, papers on your seats right now? It's, it's our passage for today, and um, last night when I was here finishing up and being overly ambitious, um, we had two more passages to look at too, but because people didn't pack a lunch, um, we're going to just focus on one today. Sanity is ruling. Um, let's see if I can do this. Yes. Um, today we're talking about spiritual formation. Um, spiritual formation, uh, I was looking looking for ways to define it. I'm in a spiritual direction program. We've been talking about it, talking about it, lecturing, listening, reading um, for the last couple of years and, and still this year as well. Um, and I thought based on the passage and based on some other things that I know that um, looking for God in the space between, the space between old ways and newness um, is, is the way we're going to look at it today. Um, we have been talking about discipleship as our everyday yes to God. So we're going to look for those ways in which we say yes um, to newness as it arises. We've also been talking about the three tables. Um, the Eucharist, where we're all recipients. God is the host here. Um, and we receive God's hospitality on a weekly basis. And that, that practice shapes who we are. It forms us as a people. Um, we've also been talking about um, the ways in which we are hosts, the ways in which we offer hospitality at our tables to friends and family and strangers even. We also um, have been talking about the ways in which we sit at neighbors' tables. And when we're, when we're on the receiving end of generous hospitality, and all of those tables shape us and they teach us things about who we are and what we are to do in the world. I didn't ask Taylor's permission, but she's not here. Um, recently, Taylor told me about a table, a lunch table at school. Um, and she's being formed by something called Renaissance. She's in the leadership program in her middle school. And one of the jobs of Renaissance kids is to notice other kids who are sitting alone at lunch and to invite them to join them. So to, to practice hospitality, um, this is something that's going on in the middle school as a practice. Um, Taylor's being shaped by Renaissance and formed as a person. Um, and I would say that, that there is a freedom from that is happening with her, and there is a freedom for. Taylor, um, for those of you who don't know her, took forever to say hi to Craig Keene. Craig Keene was a member of our congregation. I miss, miss the Keene still. But he would say hi pointedly to Taylor every Sunday for years, and she would simply look down. Um, so for her, part of the freedom from and being shaped by this Renaissance program is that she is being freed up from a little bit of shyness and a little inwardness, and, and that she's being freed up to offer hospitality. And these are really, I think, really beautiful things. Um, Taylor has, uh, the shift in her orientation and practice has been initiated by Mr. Ray, who's the leader so, um, of Renaissance. And 
I don't think we are approaching the level of Missy Griffin's heresy that Selah called out about be still and know that I'm God. But I think Mr. Ray is, is offering the life of the spirit, um, offering kindness and goodness in this um, analogy. So today, we are going to talk about um, spiritual formation as freedom from, uh, freedom for, and God in the space between. Um, see, God invites us into transformation, um, into ongoing conversion, so that we might gain freedom from what's bound us, um, and freedom to move, freedom for the good work that God has prepared for us as individuals and as a body to do. And the shape of that work looks um, different depending on uh, depending on each person. Um, our work corporately takes many shapes. Lots of us, all of us, volunteer in very different ways, offer our gifts in different ways for the life of the body, both here and both in our, in our work worlds and in our parenting worlds and all of the spheres where we, um, where we live our lives. Um, and God is endlessly creative, so there's room for that. Spiritual formation is, is about being formed and reformed by the Spirit of God. And it's about engaging practices that open us up to noticing and responding to the Spirit of God. I want to tell one story um, about being shaped by this Eucharist table. And I'm going to ask Laura. Laura's a um, fellow Missouri Synod Lutheran um, growing up years person. She's, she's going to read something that Caitlin had written in our... Um, Perennial, a story that she had offered. Can you, yeah, grab a mic. Thank you. Mountainside Communion was the first church I ever visited by myself, and at a time when, when I felt the self I carried wouldn't be welcome through any church door. I felt on the verge of being found out, much like the time I was caught helping my grandfather prepare communion before a worship service. Children weren't allowed in the sacristy of our cathedral. Their wiggly hands and unpredictable passions were considered too risky for the Eucharist. My grandpa, on the other hand, believed in coaching. He guided me through each step, showing me how to properly pour the wine into a white plastic cylinder that allowed you to fill each individual communion cup without touching the liquid. He offered the device to me, and with nervous, serious concentration, I emptied the contents into each vessel. Feeling like a wizard as I turned aged Merlot into the blood of Jesus Christ. But the lesson was soon interrupted by a church member that passed by the doorway, shocked by the scene of a nine year old girl with butterfly barrettes standing on sparkled tiptoes over the chalice. Some of the wine turned blood splashed onto the floor in my surprise. I was hurriedly ushered out of the room and reprimanded. I wasn't old enough, they told me, but later on, I wasn't woman enough either nor were my friends and neighbors man enough, educated enough, straight enough, American enough, pure enough, or wealthy enough. Okay. Her story goes on, and it's a beautiful story, and well worth reading, um, to move from the no that she experienced to yes. But I wanted to, um, I wanted to share uh, my yes my God in the space between story about the Eucharist. 
Um, I've shared it before, but we had been, um, and I want to say also that I got beautiful liturgy from the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. Um, but one of the lessons I learned around the Eucharist table was that uh, by, by action and by what was the stories that were spoken around it and by the action that I would never be uh, an appropriate person to serve communion. Um, we had started attending Mountainside in September of 2006. Jordan was two at the time. Um, and Taylor was just a couple of months old. Ari was very pregnant with Luke. Um, and there were only, there were four children. There were four children in the kids' room at the community center. Um, and gladly play was not even a dream yet. Josh asked us on Christmas, David and I, to serve communion. I didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do. It was the first time in my life that I'd been invited to serve. I grew up in a church which meant, um, in the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, which meant that men and only men and only ordained men were ever going to offer communion. Um, I was in high school before I saw a woman preach, heard a woman preach, um, and that was when I visited my sister at a different um, Lutheran church and college um, where Walt Wongren was the pastor, for those who like storytellers. Um, but I, I was almost done with a, a degree at Fuller as well, and I'd I'd never, I'd never served communion, never been asked. Um, and I just want to say that the stories that are told and the actions that are enacted around tables, this table, the tables at our neighbors, the tables at our homes, um, the tables that we share at work in the kitchens and, and break rooms, um, shape who we are as people. So Christmas 2006, it was ordinary wine. No, there was no wine. I'm sorry, it was grape juice. There was ordinary bread. And that was beautiful, um, home-baked bread. We had no plantain chips. It was great juice. Um, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Um, it was the priesthood of believers enacted for me in a different way. Um, and it was an extraordinary moment for me. It formed, it formed this space between what was, for me, like not even a thought about no. I didn't really give it much thought. It was just the way it was. Um, although I was in seminary. And, um, and it, it created something different. Um, freedom from a past limitation, a no. God was in the space between um, doing something new, uh, definitely new in my life, but I also think it's an enormous yes of freedom for um, the children of our church. Um, yeah, Caitlin was formed by her experience at nine, shaped by a no, surrounding the Eucharist. I was shaped by a similar tradition and not thinking about it. I don't know what Laura's experience was surrounding that. But our children are being formed around this Eucharist table each Sunday as well, with a lot of yeses. Um, uh, the sense that they're welcome here, they're formed by a shared practice, they're full participants. It's not perfect, it's a little chaotic. But our children know and will know by story and action that they're welcome. Um, by what's said and by what's not said to them. I had one person say to me, uh, visiting our church, uh, you guys don't yell at your kids. And that was a beautiful thing for him. Um, I'm like, yeah. Um, so the freedom for yes, this is uh, the first time we were invited as a family to offer communion. And I'm gonna read Jordan's story. I asked her to read it and she said no. Um, also from the book, but 
This was also a huge yes for me, a freedom for something new for me. Um, two years ago, Jordan, I served my first communion. I didn't really know how to do it, but my mom and sister were with me. Taylor didn't know what to do either. So I looked straight at my mom, who was kneeling right beside me, and she told me, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And I got the hang of it right away. Um, we are all formed, uh, and sometimes deformed, misformed, it's not really a word, uh, misinformed, malformed, about who we are and what God desires for us by the stories told and enacted around the tables that we sit at, by the sin of our culture, by other people's sin, by our own sin, by the brokenness of our world. And the tables of our communities often shape our redemption, um, creating the space between the no and the yes where the Spirit of God births new freedom in our lives. The Spirit of God at Mountainside, uh, in both Caitlin's story and mine, redeemed the story told and enacted around the Eucharist table. It created freedom from wounding and birthed new freedom for the work that God calls forth in our lives in so many ways. Um, the Spirit of God moving among God's people shaped each of us into truer, more truthful shapes. This morning we're going to use, uh, let's see, this lens um, to look at, to read through the Emmaus story. And really, we got off lightly. We were going to do groups, and then Becky would have left, and, uh, <laughs> but... And I had two other passages, and like we were going to do a lot of work, but we don't have an hour. Um, so we're going to look at the Emmaus passage. It's on your seat. If, if you need to look at it, I didn't put it up. It was long. Um, I could flip back, but there are purple sheets on your paper, on your seats. So I want, I want you to hear it. We're going to hear it again, and I also want you to hear a little bit of the subtext. Um, now, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. Why were they going there? They were talking with each other about everything that happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus is a stranger. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Tell me your story. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Exasperation, shock. What things, he asked. Tell me more. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. The trauma is fresh. They are reeling. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found out 
found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. His body was gone, and there was news of angels. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, understanding their experience as part of the story of the prophets, as part of God's story. Their perspective needed enlarging, opening out. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. The disciples offered hospitality. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he had disappeared from their sight. Jesus known by familiar actions giving thanks, breaking bread, and then he was gone. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It's in the looking back, reflecting on their experience, that they noticed the signs of having been close to Jesus. And then they got up and returned to Jerusalem at once. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Why did they trek back the road they just walked? What freedom for is created by their encounter? So we're not going to break into groups, but we are going to take a moment or two just to turn to our neighbors. Um, and let's use the freedom from, freedom for, and God in the space between uh, to see what we notice. Let's take a look. What did you guys notice when you thought of uh, freedom from? What did you feel like the, the travelers, the disciples, had gained some freedom from? Did you notice? Chad. Did everyone hear that, Chad? Just like freedom from crushing doubt that everything that they had um, put their hopes on was, was done. Others? Freedom from Freedom from disappointment. Yeah. Thank you. Others?
Right. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Any others? Okay. What did you sense, Gwes, or what did you notice about um, the Freedom Four? What Freedom Four did you see in this passage? again, definitely. Others? You guys are getting off so easy. It was going to be one group with one passage, another group with another passage, and a third. <sighs> Too much. Okay. What did, um, where, go ahead, Aaron. Did you have something? Uh, yeah. It was in that just the, whatever they saw was the whole story. Yeah. The freedom to believe something beyond, even when they love something, they believe something. Definitely. Like magic. Mm -hmm. Good. Austin? I think along with what they're saying, a freedom for, I can't really say what I said, but a freedom to be able to get it wrong or to not always see what God is doing in our life. Yes. Um, New learning. Where did you see God showing up? Or the Spirit of God at work? I gotta go here. Oh. Oop. There we go. Like you, I, I thought it was odd it, it, it repeatedly that Jesus shows up as a stranger. They don't recognize him. He, he's different enough. Um, to not be immediately recognizable. Others? That was mine. The scriptures. Yep, he does open the scriptures to them. And he gives them that broader perspective about how their story, how the story of what's just happened fits into God's bigger story, that they're, they're part of it and it's not the end. Um, I thought it was interesting being known by giving thanks and breaking bread and that comes up over and over again. Um, yeah. And that God shows up as a stranger then not a stranger. Okay. Um, anyone else before we move on? Yes. Um, but 
Yes. Jesus was a stranger. He's unrecognizable by the stories that he told, the scriptures that he opened up, um, giving the disciples a broader perspective, connecting and enfolding their lives and their story into his story, into God's story. He was recognized by actions that he took in giving thanks and breaking bread. Um, to me, that, that is what everything, everything that everybody has said is that that's God in the space between the, the no and the Yes, to something new. He gave freedom from the limitations of what had been and gave them freedom for newness, a new understanding, a new purpose. I just think it's odd that it says, and then they turn around and walk the seven miles back to Jerusalem. Assuming, you know, it was the next day, but they, why were they walking away in the first place? Um, were they going back to their old way of life? And then this sparked purpose uh, and hope. I'm suggesting that the way of spiritual formation for us is like this as well, over and over again. God invites us into transformation, into an ongoing conversion, so that we might gain freedom from what's bound us. Uh, limitation, sin, fear, anxiety, lack of skill sometimes, and moves us to grow, moves us into freedom for whatever God, good work that God has for us um, as a group and as individuals. And that shape of that work is unique to each. Um, just like a grain of sand, we're not, there are no two of us alike. God is endlessly creative. So what might feel like being bound for me might be freedom for somebody else. What might feel like freedom for me may feel like bondage for somebody else. And we learn those things by listening to one another's stories. Um, so the disciples in this, in this uh, story are dealing with trauma, uh, and sometimes those are our stories, um, because we're hu they're human stories. Um, and sometimes it's just not that. It's just daily life. It's listening for the ways in which freedom is being breathed into our daily lives, noticing, um, noticing beauty, um, Noticing so um, beautiful children um, walking in. Um, sometimes our stories are extraordinary and sometimes they're really ordinary. Sometimes the freedom we need, um, oh, not that one. Sometimes the freedom from might be as simple as um, a no to a European vacation. Um, Robin's not here today, but one time she told me a story about 
Um, her son's not wanting to go on a trip. They'd planned this big trip, and Robin and Len were going to go, and wanted it to be a family trip, and the boys said no. And Jonathan, who's apparently a famous football person, spent a good deal of time that summer um, throwing a football, this is the way Robin reports it, throwing a football from the inside of the house through a tiny window repeatedly. Um, there's something about precision and quarterbacking that that summer was in, instrumental for Jonathan. Um, she said that the choice that no, the freedom from a, from a trip was actually a yes for Jonathan honing his skill for something that he loves. So sometimes the yeses that we're saying are, are yeses to things that we love and that we need to move into. Um, and sometimes that means a no of sacrificing other opportunities. Um, what might, we're going to be done here in just a moment, what might you need freedom from? It could be pain, it could be loss, it could be too many commitments, um, habits that are holding us back, limited thinking, sin, sickness. What newness might the Spirit of God be inviting you into, us into? What do we want freedom for? Um, might be reaching out to someone alone across a lunch table, might be parenting. It might be starting a business. It might be starting a nonprofit. It might be playing football. It might be playing volleyball or water polo. Um, it might be life at a saner pace. How about the fruit of the Spirit? We're going to be talking about that in Advent. And, like, what does it mean to have the qualities of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness? gentleness, self-control as part of our everyday experience. Might not be a big goal, but it's a big goal. I mean, not even a goal. It's just shifts. It's the giving thanks. Um, yeah, we're going to end here with the question of, like, how, how do you notice God showing up in your life? God shows up in lots of ways. But we have to be paying attention to notice and say thank you.